listening to a rock and roll station on my way over here. And, you know, it put me in the mood. There was a passage in one of those tribal songs that I feel, uh, well, is the keynote for this evening. Everybody have fun tonight. Everybody Wang Chung tonight. Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the shenanigans. It was the early 80s, and sex was still a good way to meet new people. The disappointment. That's a real shame when folks be throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that. And the self-confidence. I'm six foot, three inches tall, and maintain a very consistent panda bear shape. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Stuck in the 80s, it's your host Steve Spears and Brad in LA. And today we again honor songs that reach number two on the Billboard charts, but no further. It's our conclusion to 1986. It's over. Go home. Stuck in the 80s is now listener supported via Patreon. Join us for VIP Zoom happy hours and more when you join at patreon.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast. And remember, now we have tears. Non-salty patreon tears hey nation we're back and uh this is usually the part of the show where we explain the whole concept of the series and we we give the obligatory hat tip to our our old friend chuck coverley for coming up with the spreadsheet of number two songs that dates back to the 1400s not because we have to because we want to today though we can actually say hey chuck coverley how you doing i'm doing great how are you guys Never better. Such an honor to have you on for 1986 and finally to uh, to rep your own list. Yeah, why should we carry this albatross around ourselves? Get in here. <laughs> well, I'm kind of happy doing the 1986 since it was the year that I graduated high school. So even if it was the second half, I'm happy to be here. Set the stage for us. So 1986, you're graduating high school. Where where did you go to high school? Willingboro High School in New Jersey. In <laughs> Willingboro, New Jersey, uh, home of Carl Lewis, the great Olympian. Mm, Excellent. Nice. That's right. What was the uh, the 17 or 18-year-old Chuck Coverley like? Did you have a part-time job at the time? Did you have a full-time girlfriend or anything? I think I had a full-time girlfriend. Had <laughs> as a, far as you know. <laughs> as far as I know. Might have been half <laughs> part-time on her side. Probably 86, I was working at the local IGA. I think stocking shelves and bagging groceries. Nice. And then the summertime after graduation worked at Six Flags Great Adventure, oh, wow. which was a blast. Oh, yeah. Where did you actually go to college then? Fairleigh Dickinson University. Isn't there some nickname for that? Fairly ridiculous, yeah. <laughs> We're going to have uh, the Beaver Brown Band, right? John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band. Yeah, uh, on, on, the the eight, on the cruise. And in Eddie and the Cruisers, he actually refers to my college as fairly ridiculous. So when I remember hearing that, I was like, hey. <laughs> Like, hey now, That's, hey now, I, I why? What's I can't read. <laughs> Tell us about how you came up with the idea for compiling this list of close but no cigar songs. The whole idea came about like I always like the underdog. I'm always rooting for the guy that's trying that just almost gets there but can't. 
And there's so many, you know, number one hit compilations. Sure. My wife, Amory, and I were driving down to Savannah to see some friends of ours and visit family down there because that's where she grew up. I decided to make a bunch of CDs to listen to on the way down. And the drive's probably about 15 hours, maybe. It's a long drive. So I made a, a set of CDs, just burned a bunch of CDs, went through. I have all the billboard charts that I had downloaded in PDF format way back in the day. And went through and just created this list that I could uh, then make the CDs from and have to listen to on the on the road. We've really enjoyed covering it. I thought it was fun to start in the late seventies and kind of give people an idea of, you know, how music was sounding as the eighties were coming about. That was about the time that I think I discovered. Well, probably I grew up with AM radio mostly, listening to it sure. in my mom's sure. Volkswagen because I think the Beatle only had an AM. Uh, radio in the thing. So we, we would listen to AM radio, uh, but it was probably around that time when you started, I think it started in 76 or 77 that uh, I started discovering the radio myself and my own taste of music and learned how to tune in whatever station I wanted to listen to and uh, kind of settled on top 40 radio around that time. What were the bands that you were into at that time? Were you, were you like me, a fan of uh, stuff like sticks and kiss? I was, oh my gosh, I have, I'm looking at, uh, I have all of my t-shirts organized on these shelves in my bedroom. And uh, I have these Kiss t-shirts here from Destroyer. And yeah, I had all those albums when I was a kid. All the individual albums, a huge Kiss fan. Uh, But on the other side, so when people ask me what my first concert was, it's two two concerts. And they were right around the same time. Kiss was one. The other one was Barry Manilow. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't get t- too far, you know, uh, polar opposites than that for your first two concerts. <laughs> That's pretty great. Brad, I don't think you ever told us what your first concert was. Was it uh, Captain Geach and the Shrimp Shack Shooters? Actually, it was. Yeah. They were great. Did an <laughs> impromptu set at the uh, Huntington Pier. Yeah. So. Okay, so we have worked our way up to the second half of 1986. A couple weeks ago, we did a show where we covered the first six songs from 1986 that that reached number two but got no further. We've got five songs left. We thought we had six. Turns out uh, (laughs) there's one song. Not so good at counting. (laughs) No, just there's a song that's straddling New Year's Eve, and uh, we'll explain it when we get to 1987. I like the way you tease the next episode. That's really good. Stick around, folks. We'll <laughs> release the secret to that yeah. on our things, next episode. Things really get dark. In 1987. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> before, before we get started, let me say this about 1986. When I think of these songs and when I listen to them before the show, a lot of these songs have really good stories behind them. But I think we're out of the sweet spot of the music that I really loved in the 80s. I think we're, we're now at the point where... And I think that a lot of times when you're talking about the, the top two or three songs on the Billboard charts, you're not exactly talking. You're talking about the songs that everybody agreed on as opposed to sure. the, the really unique songs that maybe you personally favored at the time. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at the at the table here. Yes, we do do notes, folks. We're not making this up completely as we go. But I'm just looking at it. And of the songs we're going to talk about, I see three albums that I actually owned out of the you know, the five and five. Wow. I, I see none. Really? 
None. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll cover that as we go through it. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's get started. Brad, what's your first song for this week's show? The first song that's stuck at number two, and I did not own this album. Let's just get that on the table first. It's Friends and Lovers by Carl Anderson and Gloria Lord. So This spent two glorious weeks in the number two spot. 14 weeks total in the top 40, and that's pretty good for a song that came off of a soap opera. Oh, it did. I didn't. I, when I saw the title of this song on, on the show list, I was like, I don't know that song. And I know I was talking to Chuck online, and Chuck's like, you know it. I'm like, no, I don't. And then, so I called up in like two seconds into it. Yes, I know. You're it. like, okay, yeah, I just didn't know the name. So, yeah. uh, similar, I'm like, uh, I think I know this. But Anyway, so Gloria Loring, she played liz chandler on days of our lives for a good chunk of the 80s and her character was a lounge singer and so on the show her character sang this duet with carl anderson Hmm. Uh, originally she was going to do it with al Jarreau, but he was unavailable and so they swapped in carl after gloria saw him playing judas in jesus christ superstar which he was pretty well known for Uh, originally the song showed up in an episode in 1985 it took a long time to get a actual label to get behind it apparently a french label picked it up and sold a couple hundred thousand copies and then the u.s labels were like oh we got to get some of that but the french label had released the single before they she had actually signed all the contract paperwork so she wasn't really under contract and this big legal brouhaha shenanigans mess that happened afterwards so she started calling the song friends and lawyers which ah clever yeah. Am I the only one who thinks this song sounds like it's from 1982 and not 1986? Yeah, I think that's the soap opera connection, frankly. The people that wrote it uh, wrote a lot of TV stuff. Paul Gordon and Jay Grushka both also had written other famous duets. Paul Gordon wrote the Peter Cetera, Amy Grant song, Next Time I Fall. And oh. Grushka wrote for Jermaine and Michael Jackson, Tell Me I'm Not Dreaming." Okay. Is that really a duo or a duet? It is. Just it the really, two of them singing, that's a duet. I, I guess. <laughs> you don't see a lot of two-dude duets. That's right, that's why I was questioning. Well, oh, Michael did his fair share. Oh, uh, you're right. If we get rid of all the former Beatles tracks, then we'll be okay. Hole and Oats. <laughs> Every Hole and Oats song, is that a... That's, those are duets, yeah. Are they? Would it make you feel better if we called it a duo? Actually, yeah. I mean, what's the difference? Are you angry that we threw an extra consonant in there? No. There'd be two two extra consonants. Duo <laughs> duet. You're gonna edit okay. most of this out, I assume. Next week on Spelling with Brad and Chuck, we'll cover the duo duet. In the meantime, let me tell you a couple other things. There was a country version of this song that was recorded by our good friend Juice Newton, who we can't stop talking about, and Eddie Rabbit that also came out the same year, and it went to number one on the Billboard Hot Country Songs chart. Oh, okay. Yeah. But what do I want to talk about, Steve? The video. I want to talk about the video. Not much to say here, really. It's just this cheesy kind of soundstage looking American bandstand set with the two of them singing it. It's just total schmoopy lip sync duet. 
The only thing I want you to watch when you check this out, you got to check out the earrings that Gloria is wearing. They look like door knockers. They're enormous. They have to just be ripping holes in her ears. They're amazing. I'm telling you, check that out. <laughs> I, I got to admire your dedication to the podcast that you go back and you, and you really like comb through these videos. I mean, I turned it on for like about 10 seconds. I'm like, oh, that's it. There, there's something in every video, even if it's like, that costs $12 to make. Good for you. Or, you know, there's always something there. Okay. To remind you, perhaps. <laughs> you may not know a lot of other Gloria Loring songs, but there's one thing that she wrote and performed that you know top to bottom every word of it. Any guesses what that might be? Uh, no. Chuck? <sighs> no. She wrote a song that played every week on network television before every episode of The Facts of Life. Oh, you got really? kidding me. I, I knew son of a you know, <laughs> And she sings it. She's the voice. Oh, you know who's going to kill me for this? Future wife. Because she knows the answer to this. And I guarantee you when she listens to this show, she's going to like throw something at me. Because I know she's told me a hundred times you should ask that question in trivia. And I, I'm like, well, it seems kind of hard. It is hard. That's a hard question. Yeah. Us filthy casuals wouldn't know it. Well, just, you know, your, your wife has advanced knowledge or your future wife has advanced knowledge, and good for her. I'm glad she's sharing that with you. There, Hopefully that gets you out of the doghouse. <laughs> well, she wrote that with Alan Thicke? Yeah, yeah. They also wrote the uh, theme to Different Strokes, but she doesn't sing that one. No. No. No, she does not. <laughs> no, she does not. <laughs> but were they married? They were married, yes. Yes, and then they had uh, Robin Thicke. That's correct. Yeah, that is correct. That is yes. correct. They are no longer together. No, no. I would like to use the podcast time machine to go back in time and prevent that from happening. Okay. <laughs> You're not a fan of Robin Thicke? No. No. You, you, uh, it wouldn't matter who it was, Steve. They could be writing Beethoven's Night Symphony, and you'd hate it because it wasn't from your decade. Come on. <laughs> well, that's far true. Anyway, well, tell us, tell us what gem of a song kept this out of the top spot. Well, this is the risky run when you split the ear up. This was held out by Huey Lewis and the news stuck with you. Number one for three weeks that fall, lead single from four. And yes, we talked about this at some length on part one of this podcast. And scene. <laughs> well done. Wow. I, I feel like we've all kind of got our, our blood pressure up now. Like I feel combative and congratulatory at the same time. That's, that's a confusing feeling. So Congratulatory. <laughs> Con <laughs> Is that wrong? Did I use the wrong word again? No, it's perfect. No, I was trying to make no. one up. Chuck was fit. just portmanteauing your words. Yes. <laughs> I don't need any help sounding like a gibberish fool. I'm hoping that one day in the future that will be one of our ports of call on the 80s cruise. Portmanteau. Oh, <clears throat> I hear the furniture there is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's my turn. And uh, damn it if I'm not going to praise Canada in this uh, selection. The next number two song, Close But No Cigar, is this one from Glass Tiger. So Forget me when I'm gone. My heart will break. I have loved you for so long. It's all I can 
This was always a fun one to Google because Google keeps saying, did you mean don't you forget about me? It's like, no, I meant don't forget me when I'm gone. Are you sure you didn't mean don't you forget about me? Yes, Google. I'm sure I meant the song by Glass Tiger instead. Thank you. We all have our cross to bear. <laughs> really? Now I'm like just upset. You're riled up now. This is great. Oh. Well, it's just part of this whole no soda thing and nothing but iced tea and no bourbon on weeknights. It's it's really kind of messing with my mojo. Mm. So we'll see what happens here. Let me loose on Canada now. Glass Tiger in January of 1986 put out an album called The Thin Red Line. It was their debut album. And this was their biggest hit from it. It was a huge hit in Canada, obviously. Duh. And <laughs> it actually went on to win the Juno Single of the Year Award. Top the charts there for only two weeks, though. You'd think that uh, would have been there longer. Anyway, I think yeah. most people know this song because towards the end, you hear Brian Adams handling the background vocals. Anyone curious to know how that came about? Um, he's Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that would be the canonical answer. It's like, does there need to be any other reason? <laughs> the the producer for this album, Jim Valance, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. I'm, I'm sure I would. I'm sure we'll me. hear from him if we didn't. Everything we pronounce in Canada, we get wrong. Is it Chilliwack? Is that the one that we always screw up? Yeah. So I, I, we always have to say it to the beginning email about it. Jim Valance, or I'm sure it's Jim Valence. Or Valance. <laughs> the second L doesn't talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it's the first L. I'm Maybe pretty it's the, sure it's the second one. It could be the silent V. Don't think about don't forget about the silent V. Jim Alance produced this album for Last Tiger. Uh, he's better known as a songwriter whose primary client is Yes, Mr. Brian Adams. So there you go. Ah, okay. I did watch a video as part of my homework to know that uh, the inspiration behind the song. I guess uh, the band and the producer had met up for the first time. They were sitting around sharing stories about the songs they were listening to and what was turning them on at that time. And the song, everybody wants to rule the world came on mm, okay. and they decided, Hey, let's do a song like that with the same shuffle beat and boom, their first song was done on the first day of recording. I thought you were about to tell me about the actual video, not a video that talked about the making of the song. No, I didn't. I'm a little heartbroken. A little there's heartbroken. two, there's two videos I understand for this. So I'm sure you'll tell us about both of them, Brad, right? Nope. I only know about <laughs> one of them. Tell us about it. Oh, it's very kind of bog standard studio made up to look like a concert venue concert video. I believe that's the American version. I think there's another version that's more of a let's tell the story behind the story kind of. Oh, what, did someone forget them? I don't know, but it doesn't matter because they're gone. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> you curious what song kept us out of the top spot? I burn with curiosity. <laughs> Cue Janet Jackson. When I Think of You, from her 1986 album, Control. Oh. It became her first number one single. I would never have guessed that. You could give me like 20 guesses. I, well, I couldn't name 20 Janet Jackson songs. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, it had to be something on Control. Here's what's weird. Like, So you do this research on these songs. You, 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 weird crap pops up. And When I Think of You has more weird crap associated with it than any song <laughs> that we've done a podcast about lately. Pitchfork, because, you know, we love rankings that have no bearing in real life. 
Pitchfork did a list of the 200 best songs of the 80s. This comes in at number 48. Here's what's really weird. Hmm. So number 47, Atmosphere by Joy Division. Number 49, Buffalo Stance by Nana Cherry. Madonna's Like a Prayer. You're thinking top 10. No, number 50. What? Purple, Purple Rain was number one. So I yeah. mean, okay, hard to argue with that. But, but uh, like what? a prayer? After Buffalo Stance? <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, what? I mean, you I don't know, like Madonna at all, but I, would, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. I mean, <laughs> let me just show you how edgy I am by putting you know, Buffalo, Buffalo Stance above that. That's uh, certainly no Buffalo stance. That's going to become our new thing for at so the atmosphere by Joy Division. <laughs> <laughs> when this song hit number one, it made Janet and Michael Jackson the first and so far only siblings to both have number one singles. So there you go. Sorry, Jermaine. Keep trying. Oh, if you're looking for some sort of <laughs> foreshadowing, it was written by Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, who have uh, songwriter credits on another song we'll talk about today. Ooh. Steve's got more trivia, by the way. Who can name the other top 10 hit by Glass Tiger in the U.S.? I feel like I'm going to kick myself when you tell me. Uh, someday. Oh, I knew that. Oh, of course. You have oh. to have an even more ballady ballad than the ballad they already someday. released. Someday. <laughs> I can't sing. I don't know what it was. <laughs> someday. That's pretty much it. That's <laughs> uh, from Steve's failed musical. Yeah. <laughs> Get Barbara Streisand to sing that. Sounds like a spear story. Someday. Because I did such a good job on that last uh, song explainer, I get to do one more. No, hello, Dolly. (laughs) Oh, my God. Remember when we were uh, celebrating Tina Turner for all the cover songs that she did in the 80s Mm -hmm. a couple weeks ago because she had that amazing documentary on HBO? Well, she had another number two song in the 80s. It's this one. I will not sing along to typical male. I'm sorry. I tried to do it to the future wife earlier today, and she's like, I don't know what song you're singing. I'm like, you know this song. <laughs> well, then, it was a bad couple of minutes, I'm just saying. This song was written for her Break Every Rule album, which followed up Private Dancer, and nobody wants to be the album that follows up your your magnum opus kind of thing, right? Yeah, that's tough. I think what people might remember best about this album is the tour because at this point she's, you know, a superstar. So she's playing stadiums yeah, and uh, huge arenas. And she needed a stadium for all that hair. My goodness. She did. This is the tour. And legs. <laughs> and legs. That's true. <laughs> this is the tour that included the stop in Rio de Janeiro where they had 180,000 fans. Good Lord. It was recorded and released on home videos. Chuck, do you have it? I don't. Do you have the album? I'm pretty sure I had that in the 80s, or probably CD. One of the many Columbia House or BMG <laughs> ones that I got. got for a penny and never paid for. If I could figure out a way to tie together a Columbia House Record Club show, that would be a, It seems like there's some good stories in there. Maybe it's a segment. I don't know <laughs> what your weirdest thing is you bought on Columbia House. No, the idea would be... Because, you know, like if you didn't send the card back in time, you got the album of the month right. or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I'm sure everybody got one of those that they never listened to. But well, you just return to sender on it and it goes back. Right. But which albums did you get actually listen to and keep? Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll tell you which one it was for me. And it, it was flood by they might be giants. Oh, so good. Turn so my good. life around. Turn my life around. Actually, it didn't. I was pretty much the same person I am today. But <laughs> but I really enjoyed it. Just younger. <laughs> just, I, was just, uh, I was just out of college. I remember that because that was 1990. Anyway, back to uh, Tina Turner. It was a hit all over the world. It charted in 20 countries. In the U.S., it only made it to number two, obviously, or we wouldn't be talking about it on this show. What kept it out? No one is asking. I want to know. <laughs> Janet Jackson's When I Think of You for starters, and then this song by Cindy Locks. But I see your true colors shining through. I see your true colors. That's why I love you. So don't be afraid to let them show your true colors. True colors True Colors would turn out to be Cindy's uh, likely final number one song on the charts. I mean, she she could still surprise us. Yeah, it wouldn't be unheard of. Well, yes, it kind of would be, I suppose. This was the uh, from her second album, which was also called True Colors, written by Billy Steinberg and Tom Kelly. And if you've heard those names before, it's because you owned a radio in the 1980s. <laughs> AM or FM? FM. <laughs> They wrote Like a Virgin for Madonna, Eternal Flame for the Bengals, Alone for Heart, and So Emotional for Whitney Houston. Oh, my gosh. It was originally submitted to Ann Murray, who passed on it. Big mistake, Ann. Huge. Really? Yeah. The song's legacy is probably more important than the, the song itself. It, it became a standard for the gay community after Cindy told interviewers that the song resonated with her personally after the death of a close friend from HIV and AIDS. Later, she would found the True Colors Fund, a nonprofit organization dedicated to ending LGBT youth homelessness. So on that note, (laughs) Chuck, it's your turn. What song are you representing from the second half of 1986? All right. The next song on our countdown of number twos, Close But No Cigar, is I Didn't Mean to Turn You On by Robert Palmer. Now I bring you Okay, and this song peaked at number two on November 8th of that year. And as Steve had already alluded to earlier, he kind of foreshadowed that this song was penned by super duo Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, who, between the two of them, have 41 top 10 songs on the Billboard Hot 100. 41? 41. Blew me away when I saw that. I I would have guessed 41 of them. I, I knew that they did a lot for Janet Jackson. You know, the, the Control sure. album and the um, the subsequent album that came out right after that. I'm kind of blanking on that. Rhythm Nation. One. Rhythm Nation. They wrote a lot and produced a lot of that as well. That song was actually originally intended for Janet Jackson, and she turned it down. Huh. 
Hmm. Which is crazy because they wrote nine songs for Janet that went to number one and for her to turn it down. She's, she's thinking, looking at it. She's like, nah, it feels like a two. Yeah, yeah this is only going to go number two. <laughs> so why even bother? I only do ones now, guys. I only do ones now. It's going to get, it's going to end up on the SIT 80s <laughs> close with no cigar countdown in 2021. I'm not going to bother. It's actually a cover and it was recorded in 1984 by Sherelle. And it peaked at number 79 on the Billboard Hot 100 in 84 with her version. But it did make the top 10 on the Billboard Hot Dance Club play and the Hot Black Singles charts at the time. Cool. We have a little bit of an 80s cruise connection there with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. They wrote Human by Human League. And hopefully we get to hear them next year on the cruise. Palmer recorded his version only one year later after that Sherelle version and included it on his 1985 double platinum album, Riptide. So although the song stalled at number two on the Billboard chart, the video, which featured those Robert Palmer girl dancers in the back that had no musical talent whatsoever, from the Addicted to Love video, and it was filmed to resemble a behind-the-scenes kind of making-of video, it actually hit number one on MTV in in October of uh, 1986, there are actually two groups of ladies. There's the band ladies who are looking right. about as interested as uh, Steve is in owning any albums from this show. And then there's the dancer girls who are all kind of wearing matching outfits as well, but they're doing a little choreography there without instruments. You got like two sets of lady friends for Mr. Palmer. Yes. And I found out that in the video, the, the drummer, the, the model, the girls, the drummer, did something and hit Robert Palmer. He smacked his face against a microphone, and that's why you don't see any close-ups of her at all. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so, so lesson learned. Don't don't mess with your uh, with with your what, what do we call him? Your your main the talent. You the don't ta- smack the talent around. Yeah, don't smack the talent around. You might not get any close-ups in the video. They actually, use the same idea, the same formula of using those fashion models in the video for Simply Irresistible a couple years later in 1988. What song kept this out of the top spot? Believe it or not, Boston's Amanda beat them out of the top spot. I'm gonna take you by surprise and make you realize Amanda I'm gonna tell you right away I can't wait another day Amanda I'm gonna say it like a man and make you understand Huh. Uh-huh. All right. So the reason why I say that, believe it or not, it did keep them out of the top spot for two weeks, but it didn't have a music video. And for the 80s at that time, that was very rare for a yeah. song to to not have a promotional music video and to have it knock, you know, or keep another song out of the top spot uh, yeah. that That's had like- such an iconic music video attached to it. Please don't uh, hear our don't- song. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they didn't do very well on MTV, but they did very well on the Billboard charts and spent two weeks at the number one spot. I mean, what little I know about Boston, that doesn't surprise me too much. Yeah. You know, their fans are just rabid. I mean, they, you, they're going to make any respectable song by that band, you know, go straight to the top. They're just the love of Boston is just it surpasses one decade. 
human understanding. This was their only song to go to number one on the Billboard Hot 100. It was written and produced by their founding member, Tom Schultz, who, or Schultz, who played the 12-string guitar on that record. And it was their first single that they released since 1978's uh, Don't Look Back. Yeah, they were in a big contract dispute with their label for quite a while. Or when this came out, everyone's like, a new Boston album, a new Boston album. It's like, eh, okay, yeah, it's not bad. I mean, I know I'm kind of damning it with faint praise there a little bit. It's not as good as I think their first two albums, but it's still something that, you know, there's still some good stuff in there. I'm, I'm shocked to hear Brad talk so much about Boston. Really? <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't figure you was a fan at all. He did his research. You don't listen to a thing I say. <laughs> You don't no. listen to a thing I say. I talked no, I several, to several shows say. ago. <laughs> several shows ago, I was talking about how I listened to their first couple albums on one of my drives. You know, blah, blah, blah. Exposition, exposition, blah, blah. I guess you were off getting some more of that delightful green tea you enjoy so much I while do. I was talking. It is delightful. <laughs> How's this tinnitus? Yeah. What can I say? So that don't look back when I decide to do the close, but not close to the close to the close cigar. And we do all the songs that peaked at number four. Uh, we'll maybe hear, <laughs> we'll hear from don't look back in Boston again. When we get that in a couple of years, 2037, when we've done all the songs that got stuck at number three and we're doing number four. Oh, God. Well, don't laugh. Chart monkeys will be chart monkeys. Exactly. I mean, I'm looking for the next big thing. I remember telling somebody like when the show was, Six months old, I said, you know, one of my bosses asked me how things were going. I'm like, if I'm still doing this in three years, come and kill me. So, <laughs> and here we're about to hit 16 years now. So, Which is why Steve is in the podcast relocation program. Yeah, that's, I didn't choose to live outside Orlando for nothing, folks. Brad, you're up. What is your next song from the second half of 1986? Okay, I'm going to bring us in here with this classic scene-setting, tone-setting 80s gem. Just listen to this. That's, yeah, it is. That's Everybody Have Fun Tonight by Wang Chung like a calling card for the decade and it peaked at number two on december 27th just as the year little little christmas present for wang and chung steve would you do me a favor and please say the name of the band for me <sighs> wang chung oh <laughs> i'm done okay okay i do have a few things to say um that's an insider joke at best Number two for two glorious weeks, the last week of 86 and the first week of 87. So just remember all this stuff and we'll skip it next time. It's the lead single from their album Mosaic, which also included Hypnotize Me. What soundtrack is that on, Steve? Uh, Interspace? It's Interspace, yeah. And their only other top 10 hit, which is very, very short title, only five letters in the title of the song. Six. I don't. I don't. Let's go. Son of a. <laughs> See, there's your table bang for you, Brad. There you go. I love it. This was written by Jack Hughes, Nick Feldman, and Peter Wolf, but not the Peter Wolf you're thinking of. It's a different Peter Wolf. He's a producer, uh, Austrian, I believe. Uh, Hughes had started writing this song with the intent of doing it as an ironic ballad, but Peter Wolf, who produced the album, 
convinced him to basically pick up the tempo and turn into the dance number that we all know and love. Do you think the band loves it? I mean, this seems like the kind of song that a band puts out and they're like, oh, please, God, don't let this be a huge hit that we have to play every set for the next 40 years with. Well, it's interesting you would say that because I read a little bit of an interview with Jack and he talked about how uh, after To Live and Die in L.A., when they did that soundtrack, they were like, well, we could start doing more of that kind of arty stuff and a lot of like the instrumental stuff that they did for that. Or they could try and write some hits. And they were purposely trying to write hits. Oh, okay. Well, I and take, if, I take if it they, back. You know, maybe it's a be careful what you ask for. I don't know. But yeah, this this was a hit, as it turns out. I miss the old Wang Chung. I miss I miss points on a curve Wang Chung. Oh, points on a curve is so good. Mosaic is much more kind of radio friendly, I would say. Yeah. Um, I, that's kind of what they were going for. Let's talk about the video, guys. You remember this. It's the one that would practically yeah. give you seizures, right? Uh, sure. Actually, the video was banned in, by the BBC because they were concerned it would cause people to have epileptic seizures. Godly and Cream did the video. You might have seen some of their other work. A long list of videos, just a, a few off the top of my head. Uh, they did several for the police, including Every Breath You Take, uh, several Duran Duran videos, including Girls on Film. They did the rocket video for Herbie Hancock. They did two tribes for Frankie Goes to Hollywood. So they just did a ton of video production work in the 80s. But how did they do this? How how did they manage to come up with this effect? Actually, they used computers, Steve and Chuck. Yes, computers. They shot six takes of the song performance in that, that wooden room, wooden paneled room. It looks like a basketball court gone mental. And they had some software that would intercut two frames at a time from each of the six cuts. So it just kept rotating through those. Two frames of video. How long is two frames of video? It's about a 15th of a second. So every 15th of a second, it's changing to the next take, if you will. Uh, why would you do that? I, I, I don't know, because they thought it was fun. Because <laughs> it was the 80s, and you know, we had these video toys, and we decided to play with them. The real question here, though, guys, is do you know why it's about a 15th of a second and not exactly a 15th of a second? Uh, because of information in the subcode or something, they have to keep some, I don't know. Um, Chuck, you're actually going the right direction there. So yes. In the, old, in the olden days, black and white NTSC video, which is what your TV used to tune into, was 30 frames a second. But then when color television was developed, they needed some way to get the color information into that same signal without needing more bandwidth, without changing the resolution and all that stuff. So they slowed down the frame rate ever so slightly. So the frame rate of, in America, the frame rate of television was for a long time for NTSC, 29.97 frames a second. Wow. And also so it stayed compatible with black and white TVs. There's some kind of information in between the frames. Because you know, if you play with the vertical hold, on those old NTSC TVs, you can see the information. That's where that macrovision copy protection lives. It lives in those little bits between the frames. That is correct. So when they're doing videos, or were they making them more for the U.S. market? Or, you know, because they're an English group, basically, and over there they have PAL, which is 50 frames a, a second. Right. Tw- or 25, 25 frames, frames, right. 50, 50 fields. fields. 
So there's two fields in every video frame. I know this is great. I, I don't know how they did. That's a really good question, Chuck. Whether they, they did just, it, they did the three-two uh, pull I mean, down. There are con, there are conversions. The yeah, there are conversions you can do. And then that adds jitter. And in this video, you'd never even notice it because the whole thing is jittery anyway. It's a miracle of science. Okay, but enough about enough about you know video standard stock. Tune in next time for Simpty ST twenty one ten and its implications for IP networks. <laughs> Seriously though, I know what you're wondering, Steve. What song kept this out? Please tell me now. Here it comes. I'm going to lay it on you. This is held out by this baby. Can I just say I love this song <laughs> and the video? No matter how many frames per second it was, twenty nine nine seven. This is a great song. This is the third single from their sophomore album, Different Light. It was written by Akron native, not Devo, but Liam Sternberg. He had offered it to Tony Basil, who turned it down, and Lana Lovich who recorded a version that was not officially released, although I haven't looked for it. So, look, listeners, maybe it's out there. Oh, you That's good. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I just haven't heard it. <laughs> foreshadowing. Uh, but she's foreshadowing a future problem Yeah, a little here. foreshadowing there. She recorded a version and then stepped away from the music business to raise her family, and then it landed at the feet of the Bangles. So we get this glorious treasure of 80s nessness the video was nominated for Best Group Video at the 1987 MTV Video Music Awards, but it lost to any uh, 1987. It's got to be Sledgehammer. It's a good guess. Okay, so I'm wrong. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Uh, take on me? Also a good guess. God, I'm still not right. Madonna's Like a Prayer. Best, plot, best please group tell me video. That. Best group video. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, okay, you're all out of time. That's right. It's Wild Wild Life by Talking Heads. Um, I was going to say that. That's not really I was a... going to say that. <laughs> that's what I meant to say. <laughs> that's not really a legitimate win. Well, I don't think anyone's probably still hanging on to those video music awards anyway. <laughs> Some 40 years later. You know what they are hanging on to, though? The, the Seggies. Seggies. What's happening, hot stuff? Ah, oh, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for Mystery Movie Moment. Uh, we will play a snippet of a movie from the 80s. If you get it right, you're entering into the drawing for the Chuck Say It. Postal-friendly bottle opener. Yes. Ooh. It just Ooh. feels good to say it, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> Let's go back, back in time to show 596. And this was the mystery clip. I met you on uh, Bloodbath, right? Yeah. And then we did Bloodbath 2. And then we did uh, Bad Day at Blood Beach. And then we did Bordello of Blood. Yeah, it's John Travolta in Blowout. Wah, wah, wah. I think that was actually a 1981 movie. I think that was the show about summer movie seasons of 1981. Uh, so that's, I kind of gave Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know it's kind of obscure. We didn't have a lot of winners. Uh, we'll make up for it in the next seggy. But. Uh, <laughs> And then some. And then some. Uh, go ahead, Brad, and read the microscopic list. Winners this week include Colin Hall, Jan Stuck in Lawrence, Kansas, Stephen Halifax, 
Todd in Minnesota, Kevin Serving Wench, Ralph in Clearwater, Shan Nichols, and Jesse Elgato Grande Smith. Ralph in Clearwater, that's a new one, isn't it? I don't remember uh, hearing that I one keep before. Track of these things. I just read the names. <laughs> it's good to see my hometown still listening to the show. I'll be back there. That might be the guy who wrote in about the theater. Oh, well, he would know. So yeah. it's the Carib, not the Caleb. I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about that, stuff like that. <sighs> anyway, pay attention. Here's this week's a mystery movie clip. This is how we say goodbye in Germany. If you know it, email us at, email us at podcast at sit80s.com and tune in in a few weeks to find out if you're a winner. You mean we can't message you on Facebook? <laughs> no. Well, sometimes I'll copy <laughs> You it. can, but there's no guarantee that it'll get into the hopper. <laughs> I can, from experience, yes, it doesn't. <laughs> well, I, I get all sorts of things. People leave the me- message on Facebook posts. They leave it everywhere. So, texting you, texting me—that'll do it too. That will—that will get you ignored. I mean, because I can't afford <laughs> it, save it or whatever. This is very minimalist system. Technology world. is hard. Yeah, we have to boot this show with our little tape recorder every week. Ah, the mystical refrain that is name that 80s tune. Um, you know the drill here. We'll play a snippet of a song from the 80s. If you know it, you're, again, entered into the drawing. Drawing. Can't say that word today, right? Drawing. Drawing? Drawing. Drawing? What am I saying wrong? Drawing? For Belinda Carlisle t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I've completely lost my train of thought. But uh, uh, back in show 596, here was the mystery clip. That's Cold Hearted by Paula Abdul. Well, that fooled nobody. It's a fun video, too. It is a very fun video. Is that the one where she dances in front of like a board of review yes. or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. based on a based on a Bob Fosse thing. All that jazz type. <laughs> yeah, something or another. Yeah, it's very stimulating video. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> you just did. <laughs> I meant, you know, thought provoked intellectually. Yeah, yes. I, I'm pounding on the desk again. That's not a good thing. Brad won't be able to edit that out. <laughs> That's okay. Okay, Brad. Okay, the winners this week, every human being with an email address, also these folks specifically. Joseph Perdue, Richard the Big Bunny on Alameda Island in San Francisco Bay, Alejandro Sticks, Cardoso Solis from Tijuana, Mexico, some people with shorter nicknames like Michelle D, Donnie Gettle Rhymes with Metal, Crispy Critter, Katie, Colin Hall, Cincinnati Joe, Tommy Doucette in Boston, Michael Legat. Amy in Naperville, Todd in Minnesota, Edward in El Paso, Greg from Kissimmee, Chris Zabriskie, Gene in Hollister, Kevin Pipe Wench, Abby from R80's Life, Eric Miller, Jason in Memphis, Dave Parrott, Chris Deepcut Sampson, Nate Chops Johnson, Peter Ryan, John Ross from Charlotte, North Carolina, Anastasia in Colorado, Hope in Indiana, Ken Lee, <laughs> Paul Sailor Schmidt, Lance starts with a C, ends with a K, we're going to mispronounce it, Chadwick. Steven Ventura, Kyle K in Arkansas, Lou, Sweet Lou, Greeley, Dave Horn, Anne McNally, Becky the Rocker Pixie, Paul from South Dakota, and whew, Brian in San Francisco. Now, let me just say, 21 of the people on that list that I just struggled through 
said that the song was titled Cold Hearted Snake. That is factually incorrect, but because we are benevolent, we'll award you full Stuck in the 80s points, or if you wish, Brad Loons, which can be spent in the Brad store for this factually incorrect but well-meaning answer. <laughs> That's correct. You know who you are. Okay, Chuck, it's time to spin the wheel. All right, here ready? we go. I'm ready. One, two. Oh, gosh. It's heavy this week, all those winners yeah. on there. Yeah. All handwritten well. in. And it's still going. Oh, it's going to go for a while. Uh, it looks like it's going to land on Hope in Indiana. You are this week's winner, so email us your postal address, and we will get some swaggerino out to you soon. In the meantime, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery song. If you know it, email us at podcast at sat80s.com and tune in in a few weeks to find out if you're a winner. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Racing our way. Where else in this world could finding out who's number one be so much fun? Here's to you. You're the fun. You're the laughter. The whole world's after. You know how good life can be. And you've tasted it in a cold RC. So here's to you and me and my RC. Here's to fun. You know a good time when you taste one. Hey, we're back. We got just a few minutes left. I think it's time. Well, it's not time. It's 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 legally required that we do the segment calls. It's a mistake. It's a mistake. It's a mistake. Yes, it's a mistake. Which I thought we had retired, mm. and sadly we have not. And uh, we've got two today. That's how bad we are. It's a bitter, bitter pill. Gary and Gilroy wrote in to tell us that we were wrong when we said Apollonia 6 never recorded Manic Monday. And to prove it, he sent us a copy of the unreleased recording, which is available on YouTube. If we had just actually Googled, we would have found it. Um, Google it, Steve. <laughs> here's what it sounds like. Six o'clock already. I was just in the middle of a dream. I was kissing Valentino by the Touche, Gary. Touche. I don't know why we didn't. We didn't look. It just. It was your song. I figured you were handling it, Steve. There, <laughs> I just. I absolved myself of all blame. Well, <laughs> thankfully. Yeah, here it comes. The next its mistake comes from none other than Chuck Coverley. Oh, oh, I did say this, didn't I? Who wrote Chuck? Yeah, that not all vector graphic games were monochromatic back in the eighties, Brad. Tempest, Black Widow, and Star Wars also used color vectors. I will concede the point. However, when I was thinking of vector games, I was thinking of like the original stuff like Space War oh, yeah. and Asteroid and Star Castle. Star Castle was the one I was trying to think of that had the gels. And it did. The different yeah, colors. it had the different colors around and in the circle. Yep. There were a lot of the older ones, but then like, you know, Tempest, duh, of course Tempest is vector. Thank you, Chuck, for setting my feet back on the straight path. You're very welcome. Asshole. (laughs) (laughs) 
You got me all the time yelling at the podcast, and I was like, I can't you what guys need to do this live so that I can just say, hey, maybe not even that you're wrong, but just I want to add something to the conversation. Say, hey, also, did you know Apollonia 6 did a cover of Manic Monday? <laughs> and then you would have known. And, and then we could talk about frame rates and yeah. put the entire room to sleep <laughs> and then steal their wallets. I think he stole his wallet. Uh, but before we let Chuck go for the week, I, it is sort of a tradition here when we have a guest on Stuck in the 80s to, to offer them a seat on the podcast time machine. It must be some kind of podcast time machine. So here it is, Chuck. You have the ability to go back in time. It doesn't have to be the 80s, although that would be... Uh, That'd be on brand. <laughs> on brand, exactly. To either uh, change an event witness an event you missed whisper some advice into the ear of young Charles Coverley. How do you choose to use your seat? Whenever you ask this, I always would think, what would I do? And, and my answer is always go back and buy Apple stock, but that's kind of the, the cop out answer. Um, when I thought about it, I th- I'd love to go back and see live aid Ooh. in Philadelphia. It was right across the river. I live Right now, currently, I live on a town that borders Philadelphia. Okay. There's a river in between, but we border Philadelphia, and it's you know minutes away. And growing up, it was the 25 minute drive to JFK Stadium. You know, a lot of my friends were talking about going, and I just, I just wigged. I didn't do it. I don't know why. I just probably because I it was it was between my my junior and senior year. I wasn't driving yet. I'd have to worry about getting a ride, but that would be, I mean, that would be the one that I'd want to go back and see. That's a good answer. Just because there's, there's people that have gone and they talk about it. It's like their Woodstock. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's not like and, you're, um, it's not like you were living in, you know, Bolivia and you're like, I wish I could have gone to live. It's like, no, if you went back, you actually had a pretty legitimate path to get there. Yeah, if I was if I started walking the night before, I could have made it. <laughs> you know, I'd have had to wait for the Ben Franklin Bridge I'm to open in the young morning Chuck to Coverley flagging down tour buses. Hey guys, are you going to live aid? <laughs> but that would be that would be that's, the that's one. That's a great question. Uh, Chuck, thank you so much for taking the time to build this spreadsheet. This series has um, not only is it a, a favorite of the people who listen to the podcast regularly, but but I know Brad and I use it when we record it and we we always feel like it's um playing to our strengths and we always learn a lot from it and we really enjoy recording them yeah well i want to thank you guys so much for breathing life into this thing you know when i when i sent the spreadsheet to you guys i hadn't heard back in a little while i was like well maybe they don't like it or want to do something with that or i don't know what we're waiting for your copyright to expire (laughs) brett (laughs) brett hasn't spent a whole lot of time on facebook and then you got back to me and said, oh, yeah, this is a treasure trove of information. And it was a labor of love. You know, that that ride down to Savannah and back, every time one of the songs came on, I was like, there's no way this wasn't a number one. Like, I made the, the CDs. And, still, and I'm yeah, still going, funny. there's no way. How was this not a number one song? Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate what you're doing with it. We're going to cry big, stupid fat floppy tears when we finally get through with 1989 on this series. So I'm, I'm seriously considering taking you up on the offer of the number threes, the number fours. Number three is next. It's the next logical step. <laughs> close, but not really that close. That'll be the bronze medal series. I, I was thinking like songs that never made the top 10 
like you could stop somewhere and it's there's really iconic songs that yeah. you think oh there's no way that wasn't a top 10 song and that gives me a little bit more leeway i could do anything from 11 to 100 i mean it wouldn't be as as fun maybe as something like this well you'd have to i'm guessing you'd have to pick and choose a little more carefully and not just do everything because yeah. like you said oh, there'd be it's... like there's a reason that didn't crack the top 10 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and the list already is long enough. Yeah. All the A&R money in the world isn't going to make that a hit. Well, we've got plenty of time to figure it out because Chuck, Brad, and myself remain here, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Don't forget me when I'm gone. Stuck in the 80s is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash stuckinthe80spodcast. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music, and thanks for listening.